For a few sweet minutes I'm back home again
Mama Henry, he died many years ago. I saw old Farmer Henry, he died many years ago. Beware, beware, life's on sinking low. I saw Sister Sheila behind the veil of the tomb. Sister Sheila behind the veil of the tomb. Her lips full of that sinner's doom.
to the C to the A to the B to the Bordello Black Widow is the smallest place you can go. Naked. 
yeah, well, I could eat 900 boxes of Count Chocula, and my uncle used to host Whopper Room, and he knows Count Chocula, Godzilla, and Bruce Lee personally. I got an iron neck. Hey, I thought I told you to keep it down in there. If I hear one more word, you're getting head cheese for dinner, and I mean it. I can juggle machetes. Man, I ate the brown acid at Woodstock. You liar. German war is at an end. We may allow ourselves a brief period of rejoice. After the war, new technology revolutionized the electronics industry. Television threatened to destroy radio, but another invention, the transistor, made radio more important and useful than ever. Radio lives today as a vital medium for bringing news, discussion, and music to millions of listeners all over the world. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, I've got Matthew Dickman here with us, his book, All-American Poem. Matthew, welcome. Thanks, T. It's nice to be here. Matthew's actually joining us from Portland, Oregon, so so way across the country, out west there. <laughs> but thank, And right before you, you had to work, too, so it's... I, thanks I had for to work right <laughs> after this. Yeah, I have, I have my shoes and my bus pass lined up by the door. Right, <laughs> for the quick departure. The so, quick departure. So, so you're sure. kind of like the all-American, you know, guy, you know, on the radio and then go to work. 
Uh, yeah, do you think, yeah, um, I don't know if that's all American or just really strange. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, hopefully you'll have a cup of coffee at least, or, or maybe you're enjoying I, I one right I now. I will. Portland is a good place to have coffee. Well, without further um, ado, I'm going to read your, your uh, bio on the back of your book, your first book, All-American Poem. So, so here goes. <laughs> you have you sound like there's some foreboding there. It's okay. We'll fill it out. We'll we'll fill it we'll fill it in, Matthew. Okay. Matthew Dickman was born in Portland, Oregon. He is the author of two chapbooks, Amigos and Something About a Black Scarf. He has been the recipient of fellowships from the Missioner Center for Writers at the University of Texas at Austin, the Vermont Studio Center, and the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown. And and we've established established that you you both live and work in Portland currently. So. Yes, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I I do both of those things um, daily. The first daily. The first thing allows me to do the second thing. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And so so this book um, this was published. You won the the 2008 APR uh, Honig Men First Book Prize. Right. True. Yeah. And it was published with Copper Canyon Press, and they always do beautiful work there. They do. They do. It was published. Actually, it was published through the American Poetry Review, but Copper Canyon Press um, designs the book and distributes it. Y- so I you're like in. I g- mention that because um, poor APR um, usually doesn't get credited. Oh, well, so that's good. So give credit to both both of the, the places, because both of them working hard to keep, I don't know, to get poetry out in the world. Good poetry, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, uh, both of them, and, and um, I should say, um, not in particular, but both of them in their in their way, APR through the wonderful literary review and, and in the past um, almost seven years maybe, um, this first book prize. And Copper Canyon Press is like, you know, the benevolent poetry god um, <laughs> trying to get poetry into everyone's living rooms. That's true. And that's, that's an amazing a feat. Wait, what? What? It's a pretty amazing feat. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. It's, um, it is an amazing feat. And it seems like that's part of your um, ethos as well, wanting um, your, your poems to be enjoyed by people from, you know, for example, the community where you're from, Lentz in Portland, Oregon, uh, blue-collar neighborhood. Um, so poetry for everyone, really. Yeah, really. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have like an audience or something that I'm, I'm thinking about when I'm writing the poems. But uh, I do, I do wish and hope for poetry to be to be in our lives in a more regular way than just read at weddings and funerals. And I also like poetry, just myself as a reader, I like poetry that uh, touches, that, that has the possibility of touching the lives of many people, not just someone who spent the last 12 years at a university studying Greek literature. And so, so you came to poems um in in high school, you found poetry to find your way into the hearts of the young ladies. Is is that fair to say? Partly, was it yeah. was it Pablo that's Neruda? The mythology, oh, okay. um, <laughs> and it's partly it, that story is true. Um, but also, when I think about it a little deeper than that, 
uh, early on in high school and in grade school, before that, I was involved with theater. And I, I do think that my experience with uh, theater and being in plays and playwriting instilled in me a love of language to begin with, yes. uh, monologue and dialogue. And I think that helped me to fall in love um, eventually with poetry. Yes, the musical quality, the the the, the words aloud, definitely. Yeah. What, what's and important. to be an audience member, you know, sitting and watching a play, it's so it's so moving, uh, and sometimes that can happen in poetry readings too, or just on your own when you're sitting and reading a poem. So, are you are you also um, playwriting now and involved in the theater currently, Matthew? As an audience member, um, I, I sometimes will work on little tiny pieces that um, could be like roughs, uh, roughs for theater or something. Um, did you? But I'm did not you work? Fully involved. Did you work on that when you were in Austin at the? I, yeah, I did. Yeah, T, I did. I um, the program I was in in Austin um, was a multi-genre program. So um, I had to pick a second genre, and um, so I chose uh, playwriting. And it was really great, and I think instructive to my writing of poems, too, as far as um, storytelling goes. Oh, yes. Yes, because you're also, you've been featured when I was looking around on the web for you. Um, like, you're featured on the websites for the story um, and narrative and... And and your poem "Grief" is such this. It's it's a wonderful story in itself about the purple gorilla who comes <laughs> in, right? And you spend some a few moments with the purple gorilla, and it's a story, you know. It like, is. It is a story. That poem, um, actually, uh, I've been asked, especially when I've gone to high schools and read a couple poems, and if I read that one, um, people wonder why a purple gorilla or if it means a particular thing. That's a great, actually, that's a great thing, I think, about all of us, about human beings, is um, that we are uh, what an American playwright and teacher and old mentor of mine, Sherry Kramer, uh, called us meaning-making creatures. Mm. Um, and I wish there was more meaning to the purple gorilla, or I wish I, I had intended the meaning that some people have come up with these wild and amazing backstories for the gorilla uh <laughs> like what well like the like the purple symbolizing like lent <laughs> you know <laughs> oh so they so the catholics tell of that person's own background maybe going to catholic schools or catholic church and right and um which you're you're not unfamiliar with as well no not unfamiliar at all um but i was when i was writing it i was thinking about how grief um expresses itself in any way that it wants to. And whether that's particular and cruel or strange and surreal. And so I thought, well, you know, then it could be anything. And then a uh, purple gorilla uh, kind of came uh, crawling into my head. And is so, and what is that, what does it feel like when you go to these places and you're interacting with people who've uh, maybe in schools where they've studied uh, of your poems, and then and so they're asking you about them. What is it like to? What's that feeling like when you're talking with them about it, and they're finding all these 
layers of meaning in it and and they're they might may or they may veer away from your own layers of meaning it's strange but really kind of wonderful i mean first of all the experience is strange and wonderful because uh it's it it's starting to become more of a normal part of my life but um it seems very much outside of my life uh in portland where i have friends and i write and i i sh- you know punch into work um a great thing it also does is it makes me responsible for the poems in a way. Uh, so I have to actually think about them again, not just through writing them, but thinking about them as pieces of art and ne- needing to sometimes talk about them mm. uh, is really kind of cool, um, but also uh, kind of terrifying <laughs> at the same time. Because sometimes I don't know what to say, but, you know, I was thinking about grief and about a purple gorilla or, um, you know, I have this new poem called Coffee and it started just about coffee and then ended up being about something else. Um, I'm I'm sure I'm sort of a huge, you know, intellectual letdown with some of those (laughs) people because I don't have um, a lot of philosophy or... um, a lot of, even at least on the surface, sort of critical thinking about my poems or when I'm writing them. Well, do you uh, do you feel like that's something you want to keep, though, Matthew, because it's something about your work then that will set you apart from maybe other poets who are working closer to the Academy? Maybe. It's, you know, I don't even think about it. I, 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 I don't think that there's any other way I could write poems. Um, Years ago, uh, right when I was going to go attend the Missionary Center for Writers in Austin, Texas, and and attempt to get my MFA, um, I wrote poems in a very different way. Uh, I was more, not thoughtful, but um, maybe uh, more planning about my poems. I would come up, some idea would hit me, or I'd read something and be inspired to write about it. And then I would... um, really map it out and think about it a lot and, uh, before I wrote anything down. And then some changes occurred in my life, and uh, I didn't write. I ended up taking time off of school, and uh, I didn't write for almost eight months or so, anything at all. And I thought, well, when I go back to school, if I write poems again, I'll still do that. And if I don't, it'll be okay. Poems will still be a huge part of my life. And I'll still be a reader and um, a celebrate a celebrator of poetry. But I did come back and I did start writing poems again. But what happened after not writing for eight months is I lost all of those rules that I had made for myself. Mm. And and now writing poems for me, it's like um, uh, I often talk about like these. It feels like colorful building blocks. Like I'm in kindergarten again. And I'm just putting this stuff together. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it comes crumbling down. And so, and so maybe working the colorful building blocks could be images and pieces and more from the subconscious? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what, Matthew, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back and we'll hear more. Maybe we could hear the poem Grief when we come back, um, since we've been talking about it, and give the listeners a chance to hear it. And, and folks can also hear the poem Coffee, because it's online now, um, with the Oregonian, isn't it? 
Was it? Uh, it you know what? It, it might be. It might be. <laughs> so people can hear the, that poem, Coffee, that you just mentioned as well. So that, okay. Well, we'll take a short break, and then we'll okay. be right back. Um, okay, I can't wait. <laughs> okay, we're, today we're talking with Matthew Dickman. His book, All American Poem, I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Matthew Dickman, his book, All American Poem. Um, so welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, Matthew. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I actually, I've got your photo up on the computer here, so... Um, oh, man, you're one so up on me. I wish I had your photo here. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe it's, you know, it's the magic of radio. You're, you know, I'm supposed to be the disembodied voice anyway, I think. Right? I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Well, at least it's a, a beautiful disembodied voice. Ah, uh, you are too kind. Matthew Dickman, again, too charming. All right. Well, let's, um, without, before you have another chance to be charming, let's hear the poem. Um, I, I, and God, the Pixies, they were really great then, weren't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. They were amazing. So, oh, what an amazing band. Exactly. I wish, so if you were, um, if you had a dream poetry tour and you were on it and you could have an opening band, uh, who, who would it be? Who oh, man, the Pixies would be up there. <laughs> the, the Pixies, um, Talking Heads, uh, they would both be up there. I would have to be a different person and write poems that could be on the same stage as them, but, <laughs> but it would be awesome. I think, well, I think a lot of people would disagree with you. I think... Um, it's it's a good thing that there's a stage for your poems now and um and let's so let's hear let's hear grief if, okay if you'll read it for us matthew of course grief when grief comes to you as a purple gorilla you must count yourself lucky you must offer her what's left of your dinner the book you are trying to finish you must put aside and make her a place to sit at the foot of your bed her eyes moving from the clock to the television and back again. I am not afraid. She has been here before, and now I can recognize her gait as she approaches the house. Some nights, when I know she's coming, I unlock the door, lie down on my back, and count her steps from the street to the porch. Tonight, she brings a pencil and a ream of paper, tells me to write down everyone I have ever known, and we separate them between the living 
and the dead. So she can pick each name at random. I play her favorite Willie Nelson album because she misses Texas, but I don't ask why. She hums a little, the way my brother does when he gardens. We sit for an hour while she tells me how unreasonable I've been, crying in the checkout line, refusing to eat, refusing to shower, all the smoking and all the drinking. Eventually, she puts one of her heavy purple arms around me, leans her head against mine, and all of a sudden, things are feeling romantic. So I tell her, things are feeling romantic. She pulls another name, this time from the dead, and turns to me in that way that parents do so you feel embarrassed or ashamed of something. Romantic, she says, reading the name out loud, slowly, so I'm aware of each syllable, wrapping around the bones like new muscle, the sound of that person's body and how reckless it is, how careless that his name is in one pile and not the other. Thank you, Matthew. You're welcome. That, um, uh, is this a poem, uh, and in the book, are these, is this a poem that was written after the eight months? So then an example of your, your way of writing without rules? It, it, yeah, it was. And it was actually written um, uh, about 85% or 90% of the book was written actually after I graduated from my MFA. So I think there's like maybe four poems in the book that are in my uh, thesis. And then the rest came afterwards. But this is, yeah, this is certainly one that was written uh, after that time of not writing. And and it's funny how that works, isn't it, with the MFA? Because you, you have a thesis, and then you think that yeah. might be it. But it's really, you know, like you said, 95% almost was what you made afterwards, which is what became this first book, this prize-winning book. Yeah, it's, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the time, like, first books um, will be a lot of uh, someone's thesis. And, and, and almost every first book, not all, but almost every first book, now is written by someone who has gone through an MFA program uh, for, for good or bad. Um, but uh, the MFA program or the decision for, for me to go to one wasn't really necessarily to write a book. Uh, it was that I had been out of undergrad and working for a while, and um, I thought, well, it might be nice not to, not to work for a couple years. And so <laughs> I thought about MFA programs as a sort of fellowship, you know, to write. Time and money. Time and money. Yeah, time and money. And, and Austin seemed like a good place, especially since um, by some miracle, that's where Michael also got in. So there's mm -hmm. this odd, um, like, stroke of luck. So you guys could be in the same town again for, yeah, for a stroke, stroke of, of time. luck. And also, I should say, um, uh, written apologies. Um, we, <laughs> we got in, but um, the board was, uh, and for good reason, distrustful after looking at our um, undergraduate uh, history. Um, well, because you, know, you we were less spent... than stellar, right? In the in your yeah, in less your... than stellar. That's really a polite and diplomatic way to say it. Um, you know, I, I spent seven years as an undergrad, and I think I graduated with a two point three or four, something like that. 
Um, I was not a great student. I was excited about school in a way. You know, I, I, I romanticize about college campuses because they're often so beautiful. And, you know, people going to classes with their books and maybe even some IV on the side of some building somewhere. <laughs> or on their so, shoulder even, perhaps. Or on their shoulder even, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, not a great student. But, but, but by the time I had done my gone to do the MFA, I was older and, and um, I was a little more concentrated as a person. It's almost like you give um, Austin a shout out with um, with grief when you say I play her favorite Willie Nelson album because she mi- misses Texas. Um, maybe Absolutely. the broken yeah, spoke. I, and... I really miss Austin. <laughs> you... Maybe I should play my favorite Willie Nelson album. I think that's what you were doing in this poem in a way. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. I think you're right. And yeah. and it's it's wonderful because you actually so many of um I don't know, like the 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 ideas and the images that you work with him within uh, seem to be also present in this poem. Um for example, like there's there's a brother that comes into the poem as well and and when he gardens and and uh, the feeling like of of romance and then the body and and so it's and 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 definitely the i mean it is it's it's so it's almost uh, so unsettling really when you think about making a list of the people who are living in the dead and and yeah i don't know anyway yeah. um now do you feel like you're back in one of those high school classrooms and so not at all no <laughs> telling, <laughs> trying all. to to ask you so and that's also cuz you were a visiting writer at Reed College as well too so working with um with college students? Uh, well, that actually hasn't happened yet. Um, oh, okay. I've, I've read there, but that's, yeah, that's, I'm excited about it. It's going to happen, um, I believe, in October that will happen. Okay, okay. Well, so we're getting, I'm getting ahead of <laughs> ourselves with that one. But it's okay. October will be great. It'll be beautiful here in Portland, and, you know, I, I wish it was October right now. And and how do you feel about returning to Portland, where you were born, um, and a place that that is so alive in this particular book of poems, All-American all Poems? I feel really good about it. Uh, it was really uh, important and moving that I was here when uh, the book arrived in the post, you know, um, to be in the place where I started writing poems to begin with. And I've come and gone from Portland for years, and uh, returning this last time about a year ago, uh, it was a kind of a hard return in a way, but uh, when I got settled in here, I was really excited to be here. And Portland is full of all of these like amazing artists and uh, writers and uh, filmmakers and musicians and um, I've been lucky enough to um, you know find some of them and have some of them find me and start building these um, exciting relationships so you have the relationships from from when you were when you were a youth and and then the ones that you're building now too with a and some of them may even be the same people in, in an arts community. It's true, yeah. And it, um, you know, at first, uh, when I came back, uh, it felt like two different Portlands, you know, like the mm-hmm. Portland of my youth and then this, this new Portland that I was returning to. But the longer I'm here, those, those, um, two, uh, those two sort of ends, 
um, get closer and closer to meeting in the middle, which is nice. So, so yeah, so a new a, a new place yet again then, in some it ways. It is, yeah, it is, and it seems like really thriving right now, um, from other times I've returned, and that could be me, you know, maybe it's always been that way, but uh, it that feels true right now. Well, because well, you're definitely thriving now, and, and and I imagine, are you also? Is this a time of producing a lot of new work as well? I am writing a lot of new work right now. Um, I've actually been able to go down. Uh, I work at a Whole Foods uh, grocery store, and um, uh, they've been kind enough to let me go down to part-time. Uh, it's the first time, Tita, I've ever worked part-time in my life. <laughs> Are you, is it, it sort of nerve-wracking? Like, uh, oh, I felt so guilty about it the first, like, <laughs> couple weeks. Um, but now I love it, and it does allow me to write new poems, which I've been writing and then sending on um, – to now my new editor, um, Michael Weger is at Copper Canyon Press, um, which is also kind of a new experience. Elizabeth Scanlon, this brilliant poet and editor at American Poetry Review, uh, my experience with her as an editor was so great. And um, I'm just lucky that I can move from her to another great editor and send him new work. So how does that work? Do you, um, like, how long does it, can you walk us through something like, do you have, like, a, a group of poems and then you send them to Michael Wiegers over at Copper Canyon, or or is it something that's more even, you know, kind of more free-flowing than that, so it could be one poem and then send it, and, and, yeah. and does he with give me, you it's feedback? Way, it's, with me, it's more free-flowing. I mean, I'm kind of, I can be kind of an ecstatic idiot. I mean, a lot of people <laughs> might not like write up to like a, only a second or third draft of a poem and be excited about it and send it to their editor. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Um, but whatever, I'll be, I'll get home from work and I'll be you know, up until two in the morning writing and I'll be excited about something and I'll, I'll just shoot it to him in an email. Um, and then also sometimes I will put like four or five poems together and and print them up and mail them as a more formal sort of Ooh yes like thing. you're wearing a suit oh totally like you know <laughs> mom's in the audience put a tie on you know, <laughs> well, try, try not to cuss <laughs> yes and you're doing great by the way we Thank gotta you. give you some props <laughs> for that um I, I read somewhere also um today that you you would um you had said at some point that um that you feel like you're you, you maybe put a lot of the the day, the daily, or the anxiety that 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 builds in life, and you you put that in the poems, but it sort of comes, it becomes translated into this ecstatic hopefulness. Yeah, I, I, it does. It's you know, often those things for me, like anxiety, um, like being on a plane and there being a lot of turbulence, and the anxiety that I feel then, compared to like the anxiety I feel like um, maybe kissing someone I like and have wanted to kiss for a long time for the first time. Um, those are two very different experiences, but the, the energy of them for me and my body sometimes uh, seem very, very similar. And, and also I think that we should, if we can, or I think that I, I, I hopefully try to celebrate um, the just the things in my life, and that includes all things in my life, really difficult things, and then, you know, really lucky um, 
all have a place, and, and whenever I sit down to write, I hope in the best poems that they're all given the same amount of um, thought and, and honor, you know. Yes. That, that's a really, that's actually a really great thing to say, I think, because so often it seems like we do, like you mentioned at the top of the hour with the, um, going to, to poems in times of like maybe at funerals or in times of great sadness or or maybe when people are keeping journals and, and a lot of times that's where the, the source of the, the the words spring from but it seems like it is important definitely to be because it uh, the ecstatic nature of poetry and the celebratory is is equally as important and um so yeah you said it you said it so well matthew let's um we're gonna take a short break maybe when we come back would you mind reading um your ode to your neighborhood the lentz district um and then maybe in some new work as well Okay, that sounds like fun. Okay, we're going to take a short break today on Living Writers. You're listening to Matthew Dickman, his book, All American Poem. We'll be back. Welcome back. I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Uh, today on the program, Matthew Dickman, his his book, All American Poem. Um, Matthew, that is a great song. <laughs> you know, sometimes I, I haven't stopped to listen to that song. All I, I should say, all the songs were picked by Matthew today that we're we're hearing it for our breaks. Um, See, I, I can't hear them when they play. Which one was it? Oh, that one was the Talking Heads. That oh, was great. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a great song. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. So you're sitting there, sort of waiting for us to come back, like the the voice and the out of nothing, right? It, no, it's it's okay. It's 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 you know it's it's not like the DMV. It's fine. <laughs> There's no one no one interesting to look at though, probably or. Um, not really, I'm sort of just look. I, I'm looking at some beautiful plants. <laughs> well, there you go. Some peaceful plants. Have, some peaceful plants. Have you ever written a like a poem when you were in the DMV? Like, is that do you carry a little notebook around and? Um, I don't. I don't. Although. You know, those, those moments like at the DMV or, you know, these places where we go in our lives are, you know, always um, 
you know, with me when I get home and I, I sit down and write. I actually can't write in public, like at a cafe yeah. or, or something, because um, my mind gets too easily occupied with things around me, you know, you know, people walking by or people's conversations and, and that sort of thing. So it's sort of, a, it's sort of impossible. I have to be alone with everything, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, which is so, that's kind of amazing to hear because if, when people were reading through um, your book, All American Poem, they might, or even listening to that, that your, one of your latest poems, Coffee, they might imagine that you are actually, because you say in that poem, Coffee, you're, you're stirring um, like the cream into the coffee. And so, so it's very in that. So you, you recreate the moment very well, even if you're, you're, you're writing it at 2 a.m. <laughs> right. Well, it's sort of like, I think about it, it's like, you go swimming, like if you go like jump in like a pool or you go like maybe luckily you get to go swim in a pond or something. And you know how great your skin smells for the rest of the day? Like it still smells. Yes. Yeah. Like that cold water. I think that's just sort of like our experiences in life at the end of the day. You know, you can still smell, depending on the day, it's either like you can still smell that wonderful, (laughs) clear, beautiful water from the lake or you can smell that, um, that chlorine yeah a little bit of yeah a little bit of the day's stink as well right Uh, (laughs) but maybe and that's the part those what you do maybe those are the essences that you're you're distilling for your poems um that's what stands out then yeah yeah it does stand out it totally stands out do you how do you feel about people always attaching words like exuberant and all-embracing and how do you how do you do you, does it make you want to become a curmudgeon some days? Or <laughs> no, not at all. And also, like, the poems have their own life separate from me. Yes. So, so it's, I don't think they're talking about, they're not talking about me. You know, they're talking about their experience with the poem, uh, which is often, like, very different from my experience writing it. Like, I've written poems where I thought they were very serious all the way through, and then I go read it at a reading, and people are, like, laughing. Right. You know, and I, it's so, like, confusing, you know, and it's fine. But that's the point, is that the, the poems have their own life, and, and my brother has talked about this, um, and other people have talked about this as well, which is, like, the poems don't know um, that people like them. Or what people are making of them. Or right. what people are making of them. They don't know if you're working full-time or working part-time. Or <laughs> if you have health insurance. you or loving you, you know, and they don't, they don't care. Is, is that kind of a, is that something you've also had to keep in mind? Because this last year, there's been so much that has happened. And uh, in, in maybe relating to, like, the books, your book coming out, um, Michael's book coming out, the, the the media surrounding it as well, which in in the poetry world, I guess it was actually it was quite a lot com- considering what what many poets right. So it's almost like a a, a blitz, yeah, <laughs> right? It my is. my friend it was Katie Hart on a very you know small small island, and and um, I mean it stemmed from it's really just an accident of time that our books came out at the same time. I mean, it's a pure ac- accident. Yes, or something, you know, serendipitous. Or serendipitous, yeah. Um, you know, like my book had been looked at by a couple other really wonderful editors who, who in the end said no to it, 
Um, well, it said no to like a very early version of this book that's now out. Right, um, right. So there was a chance that my book would have been could have been published in a very different version like four years ago. Isn't that strange too? Because yeah. especially and then if Michael's book was published four years after, I don't think there would have been the worry and the the attention. You know, does it feel like a? Because that's why I think I wonder if it feels like a worry to you, or if by thinking about the poems, which I think you're exactly right in, and and so is Michael, that that um, they they have lives of their own. If if they're actually art. Because um, there's right. there's poems in the world that we need for certain reasons, right? Uh, or or yeah. to write for certain reasons, but they don't necessarily mean that. Um, I don't know. Uh, not to say that they're yeah, not. Yeah, I, I think you know it's that if they are art, then they are their their own thing, and they live their their own lives, and also with like the this sort of attention um, that the books have received that I've received um, is, is very, for me, so separate from my life in poetry and my life writing poems. Uh, you know, I, I've wrote poems for years um, and, you know, since you were a piles kid. of rejection slips, you know. Right. Um, so my life in poetry as a reader and as a writer um, is pretty separate and pretty anchored in, you know, a very, like, really great, creative, sober space. Well, thank goodness for that, then, right? Because I think yeah. otherwise that could change. Like you said, you had an event that, that changed your writing life dramatically, so much so that you didn't write for eight months. This could be something that would could also have an effect which you might not even be aware of in the work. Right. I, I don't know, but... That's true. Well, the lucky thing is, T, at the end, I mean, poetry means everything, but also to me, but also at the end, it is just poems. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know if that's like the elephant in the room no one talks about. Or the purple gorilla. Or the purple gorilla in the room, yeah, when people get awards and get freaked out and you know but right. you know in the end it's just i mean we're just writing poems i mean it's like you know um it's like being a shoe cobbler or something you know it's it's a great way to be in the world without harming people and um it's a great thing for our lives but um i think like many things what's at stake um is often just what we invent yes as human beings, as the, human beings, the human yeah. construct, yeah, definitely. Um, hey, let's hear. Do you mind? Could we hear the Lentz poem? I'd, uh, I'd love to. It's, <laughs> you know, I, it's a love poem, and I like reading love poems. So, um, uh, Lentz District. Whenever I return, a fight breaks out in the park. Someone buys a lottery ticket, steals a bottle of vodka, lights a cigarette underneath the overpass. 205 rips the neighborhood in half the way the Willamette rips the city in half. It sounds like the ocean if I'm sitting alone in the backyard looking up at the lilac. This is where white kids lived and listened to Black Sabbath while they beat each other for bragging rights, running in packs, carrying baseball bats that were cut from the same trees our parents had planted before the Asian kids moved in to run the mini-marts and carry
military knives to school before the Mexicans moved in and mowed everyone's front yard. White kids wanting anything anybody ever took from them in shaved heads and combat boots. On the weekend, our furious mothers applied their lipstick that left red cuts on the ends of their marble reds, and our fathers quietly did whatever fathers do when trying to keep the dogs of sorrow from tearing them limb from limb. Lent, I have been away so long. I imagine that you're a musical some rich kid from New York wrote about debt, then threw in Kool-Aid to make it funny. I can see the dance line, the high kicks of the skinheads, twirling metal pipes, stomping in unison, while the committed rage of the gypsy jokers square off with the committed rage of the single mothers. In the end, someone gets evicted, someone gets jumped into his new family, and they call themselves Los Brazos, King Cobras, Southside, White Pride. Dear Lentz, Dear 82nd Avenue, dear 92nd and Foster, I am your strange son. You saved me when I needed saving, your arms wrapped around my bassinet like patrol cars wrapped around the schoolyard the night Jason went crazy, waving his father's gun above his head, bathed in red and blue flashing lights, all American, broken in half, and beautiful. Thank you, Matthew. You're welcome. Um, so, yeah, so is everything a love poem? Uh, for me, yeah. <laughs> yes. I would like to say yes. Uh, for me, every poem is definitely a love poem. And I think in important ways and in different ways, probably every poem we've ever read is is a love poem. Um, in that love poems have these attributes to them like hopefulness and often despair sometimes, depending on the love poem, but also like, um, you know, this ecstatic energy and uh, wonderment and all these things. And those are things that create art. Um, pessimism and meanness have never created good art. And if they've gotten close to making anything that resembles art uh, because of the ingredients, um, it's always been really um, bad and and easily um, dismissed, I think. Mm, Yes. And there's there's something about the, the truth of something that if you're trying to say the truth as close as you can to it, um, then that is love. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if that is, if you are trying to, you know, in our failed, wonderful, clownish human (laughs) way to reach for truth, uh, then then it is definitely love. 
And and I wanted to say you were very graceful in there because I, I asked you to read this poem, forgetting that there there was you had to make an allusion there, just a very neat one uh, to 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 kind of uh, make allowances for the FCC. So thank you yeah, also for so, that. You know, that it's was okay. <laughs> I want you to have your job full time or part time. <laughs> thank you um, for the silly. Uh, it, it is too bad. Uh, the FCC is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, yeah. I can say that, right? Oh. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if we don't come back after the break then you'll okay. know <laughs> we'll, we'll know <laughs> okay so we'll we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back today we're joined by Matthew Dickman talking with us from Portland Oregon his book all american poem out um, from copper canyon press we'll be right back I know his teeth as white as snow What a gas it was to see him Walk her every day into a shady place With her lips she said 